Very excited to get back in 1 John with you guys this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to continue our series uh, in 1 John, Walking in God's Love and Light and Life. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Staying on Track. If we can put up the PowerPoint, if we can get that going. Uh, Staying on Track is the name of the message this morning. And we'll be in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. Now, it's been a little while since we've been together in this book for the holiday break as we were uh, look, taking a look at Christmas and uh, there was some Q&A and some just uh, things like that. And so excited to get back in this book with you all. Um, now, have you guys ever driven a go-kart before? I feel like I ask you that a lot. But I think it's because I think a lot about driving, but driving illustrations don't work for you because you don't drive. So I think that's why I think of go-karts. Uh, what about like, maybe if you haven't driven a go-kart, what about like arcade racing game? Yeah? Any? Okay, not, not really. Okay, what about like anyone been on like a Sea-Doo jet ski before? Yeah, those are awesome. So any, any, think, of the, think of something that you have to steer, right? And if you're not intentional, uh, it's very easy to get off course. Uh, right? I have the picture of a railroad track. If you're driving a, a railroad, man, oh, if you're driving a train, um, then it is not easy to get off track because all you do, there's, no, there's not too much turning, right? Um, but if you're driving something, there's not always a track. And if you're not intentional, the, the slightest turn can end you up somewhere where you don't want to be, right? And there are so many people that I see, and I've seen over the years, they start very well, uh, but they're prone to wander, that they fade, they end poorly. They get off the track that was set before them. And today, if you are not intentional about staying on track with Jesus, uh, you will get off track. Satan uh, is very good at what he does. Uh, we looked at, if you can remember last time we were in 1 John chapter 2, we, we talked about the pull of the world and how that can get us off track. But there's also something that we're going to look at together today, uh, and that is false teaching, that we're going to see how... Um, one of Satan's devices is to get us off track by believing something that looks good, but is off, but is not correct. Have you guys ever heard the phrase before, if you can't beat them, join them? You guys ever, ever heard that before? I think Satan uh, is a very fond fan of that saying. You see, oftentimes, you know, the enemy, he, maybe he can't get us with these outside obvious allurements, and so he doesn't go through the obvious attacks. He goes stealth. He infiltrates through disguise. Uh, have you guys ever heard of the Greek mythology story of the Trojan horse? Yeah, a Trojan horse. We've got a couple of pictures if you're not familiar. They don't actually know what this looks like. They don't actually know if this happened. Uh, it's, it's more Greek mythology, but the story goes like this. Uh, it was during the Trojan War and Greece, they sailed to Troy. And something that was specific about this, this uh, nation of Troy was that they had impenetrable walls. Uh, and for 10 long years, the Greeks fought against uh, the Trojans, and uh, it was a, a very intense war, as the story goes. And after 10 years, uh, the Greeks, they uh, decide to retreat, as, at least so it looks. And in their, in their retreat, they leave a giant 
wooden horse that appears to be a sign of the white flag, a gift to them. A very unusual gift, but nonetheless, uh, they, as the Trojans see that the, the Greeks, they flee, and then they just see this, this ginormous wooden horse, and they're, and they're thinking, oh man, I think the war is over. I think this is their gift of treaty. And so there are some people that counsel them, no, it's a trap, something's, something's going to happen, there's no way that they would just retreat. Uh, but then eventually, uh, they just decide to open their impenetrable wall, the doors to the wall, and they bring in the Trojan horse. And they're excited, and they parade, and that night they go to sleep. And guess what happens that night? A group of right, Greeks that were hiding, Greek warriors hiding inside the, the horse, they, they open the, the horse up, and they, they take and destroy Troy. What, what they couldn't do in 10 years, they did in one day, in one night. And why do I bring this illustration to you is that Satan sometimes uses this attack in the sense of disguise. Uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You guys ever heard that before? Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 16 and 21 through 23, as just a way of introduction, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness." And the reality is, is that there are people in our church, in the, not just the, the small church C that we uh, currently locate in, but also the big church, that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. I got some pictures up there for you. Uh, maybe we'll help you kind of get an image of that, right? The idea is that there is an outside cloak that looks right. It looks good. But what is inside is different than what is outside. And over and over again, Jesus warns us uh, of false prophets. And the reality is that maybe you have not been exposed to this yet. Um, but in your lifetime with walking with Christ, if you want to stay on track, uh, you need to be aware that this is the reality, that there are other people who believe other things. And sometimes uh, there are people in our own church that believe other things and will try to sway you. Now, you might you know, be scared. Oh, should we look around? Is there, is there one of the wolves here? Uh, you don't have to worry. As we're going to go into today, um, what we're going to see is John is going to give us um, some uh, things to help us to be able to stay on track. That if a false teacher comes, if there is some kind of um, teaching that isn't according to the Bible, that we would be able to discern that. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into our text today, okay? God, we come before you, and uh, Lord, we just pray that your word would be nourishing to us right now, that as we maybe ate breakfast this morning or we'll eat lunch later on, and that the food would go into our system and it would nourish us, Lord, in the same way as we come to your word, that your word would nourish us for the week ahead, that we would receive from you and you would help us to grow in our relationships with Jesus. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, 1 John, if you're there, I need you to say word. All right, verse 18 
through 29. Uh, We're going to read it all. And remember, this is the part that you really want to pay attention to. I tell you week after week, uh, this is, this is God's word. Okay. And so as we go through it, um, if you miss these next two minutes, as I read it, uh, you're going to be very lost for the rest of the time. And I want it to be beneficial to you. I want it to be nourishing to you. And so uh, let's give God all our attention and we're going to read down. It's a good chunk of scripture. Um, and we're going to start in verse 18. Okay. Chapter two, John says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. Verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Keep following along. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. We get a big hint right there. He's writing towards those who would deceive But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Almost done. Verse 29, and now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know, if, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So it's a big text that we're going to go through today, and we're going to go quick today. So uh, put on your hats and buckle your seatbelt, and we're going to go through this today. Okay, verse 18 is where we started, though, and so that's where we're going to start. Uh, verse 18, um, he, he introduces, it's a new idea. He introduces a new theme. Uh, he's working his way through the letter. And if you notice in verse 18, he mentions, mentions Antichrist, capital A, and then he also mentions Antichrist, Little a, um, and with a, and it's actually plural. Look at verse 18. I want you to see it in your Bibles. It's significant and important. He tells them, he says, he says, beware, it is the last hour. And he speaks of timing here. And he speaks of uh, timing that it is the last days or the last hour. Now, have you guys, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Antichrist. It's okay if you haven't, uh, but raise your hand if you've ever heard of him. So there is a difference, okay, between the Antichrist, not plural, big A, and Antichrist, little a, plural, right? And the difference is this, Antichrist is mentioned uh, in the Bible predominantly in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, though there's other places uh, in the Bible. Another name for him is the man of sin, 
or the son of perdition or the lawless one. He will be a man who comes on the scene uh, right before Jesus comes back, not for the church, but for um, judgment. He is already, um, when he comes on the scene, the church will already be out of here. We won't have to worry about them. Uh, But he'll be a man who comes and he will be a man who promises world peace. And uh, he will create a one world government. Uh, He will be a man who the Jews will think is the Messiah until uh, three and a half years after the tribulation. In the middle, he'll come out to the temple, declare himself to be God, and the Jews' eyes will be revealed, oh my gosh, this is not who we think he is. And at that point, the Antichrist, uh, obviously his name isn't going to be Antichrist. It's going to be something different. He's gonna, it's going to be completely different to fool people. Uh, but he will then turn on the Jews and seek to kill God's people. Uh, you can think of this guy as like a, uh, a satanic Superman, if you will. Uh, he's literally, the Bible says that he will be possessed by Satan himself. Um, and he will be a superpower to be reckoned with. Uh, but we will see in the end, no match for Jesus. But he says that, he says, hey, John says, you know about the Antichrist, this particular man that will come in the future. He's coming. Uh, But what John wants to focus on is not the Antichrist, big A, uh, but Antichrist, meaning that there are other people who are against Christ, right? That's what Antichrist means. It's someone who ultimately is going to oppose and be against everything Jesus stands for. Well, what he's warning is that there are enemies of Christ now, that they are here, that they are opposed and against Jesus. First John chapter four, verse three, says, describes it like this. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. That the spirit of the Antichrist, meaning the same motive, the same desire to oppose Jesus. And believe it or not, uh, did you know not everyone is a Christian? And not everyone in church is a Christian. That there are people, the Bible describes, that are in our midst who claim to be Christians, who claim to follow him, but are secretly uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And so he warns them and he says that it is the last hour. And you might think, well, this was written so long ago, uh, what do you mean that it's the last hour? If it was the last hour for Peter, how much, uh, sorry, John, how much more is it the last hour for us? And I would agree with you um, that it is only intensifying it until now. Um, and what I want you guys to remember is that God's timing is different than, than, than you and I. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter that a, a day is as a thousand and a thousand is as a day to him. It means that he's not confined to the same type of restrictions as you and I. Uh, God has not become uh, impatient. And so he has a plan. But Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 24 to take heed that no one deceives you. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And you might say right now, well, I've never experienced this. You might say, you might say, Joel, we don't need to learn about this because no one's uh, talking to me about anything that's, that's, you know, wrong or anything that uh, is a, appearing against the Bible. Well, maybe, maybe they are and you just don't know it. Um, but maybe it's going to happen more in the future. Maybe it's going to be something which I guarantee you it will happen. You will have people with opposing ideas, but it will look very good. 
And so what we're going to go through today in light of our scripture is to see how we can keep on track, how we can stay on track. And we're going to see three things in our text today, okay, that we need to be aware of and know uh, in light of people that teach things that aren't according to the Bible. Does that make sense? You guys following? Okay, so number one, I want you to write down, uh, we need to know that people will leave. We need to know that people will leave, meaning that there will be people who are in our church, who we might have grown up with, and they will eventually, they might leave or they might leave what they once believed. And for a lot of people, this can trip them up. They can think, well, how, how were they here with us before, but now they're gone? How were, it seemed like they were saved, but now it seems, did they lose their salvation? Were they able to walk away from their salvation? Uh, how does this happen? Well, an unfortunate part with people that have the spirit of Antichrist or against Jesus uh, is that some of them do come from our midst. Look at verse 19 again. The Bible says here that they went out from us, but they were not of us. Okay, and this is the difference. This is the difference that there are people that can be with us, but they are not of us. There is a distinct difference there. The verse goes on to say, and if they had been of us, then they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You see, their going out, their leaving of what they once believed, which you and I still believe, is the evidence that they never really believed it. It's the evidence that they were with us, but they were actually never of us. I want you to write down made manifest. It means to become clearly revealed or shown. Guys, time tells. Time tells. That you, if you give someone long enough, it will reveal their true heart. And you will experience, I know people now that I even grew up with that they are maybe not with the Lord or even against the Lord. How does that happen? It's because their, their parents brought them to church that they were forced to go, or they didn't want, or they, you know, it was just a, a religious routine, whatever it might be. But we need to know and, and not get tripped up that people leave. Now, it doesn't mean that we should become callous to it, but we need to know that this is a reality. And there's a very real difference, right, of being with us and of us. One has to do with presence, not like presence like uh, you open up on Christmas, but like presence like I'm, I'm here, and the other has to do with position. Some people are present, but they have no position with Jesus. They have no sonship or daughtership. And when people leave, the usual questions are that. Did they lose their salvation? Were they once saved and now they are? It, it can become very confusion, uh, confusing. And what this verse indicates to us is that they never had salvation in the first place. That whatever the reason may have been, they were not genuine and sincere in what they confessed. And how do I know that? How can I make such a bold claim? Because their leaving is the very evidence to show. That's all you have to point to. You remember when Jesus said that you will know them by their fruit? Right? That means what's produced in their life. It shows their internal heart. But there is what I want you to know uh, and not be, because knowing this kind of information, we can often become quick to judge or quick to become critical. There is a difference between a disobedient and wandering sheep, just a little lamb who's gotten astray. They've gotten pulled in by, by some 
false doctrine or even uh, lure of the world. Um, and there's a difference between a wandering sheep and a, and a wolves in sheep's clothing, right? One is actively against and, and one just needs to be brought, right? Jesus said that he leaves the 91 to get the lost sheep. That, that there's some people that just, they need to be brought closer, uh, but others need to even be warned and rebuked. And this is not just, it's not that, uh, you know, anyone that leaves our church, right? And now they're, now they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. They might've just gone to a different church, okay? I'm not talking about leaving one church to go to another one, but leaving the community of God entirely. That they are um, apparent members. It means that they only appeared that way. And um, 2 Timothy chapter three, you can turn there. 2 Timothy chapter three, uh, sorry, don't turn there. You can look on the screens. It says this, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. The word perilous is that it is, it is um, desperate times. It is um, evil times. And it says having a form, that some people will have a form of godliness, but denying its power. I mean that on the outside, everything looks okay, but the way that they live is completely different. And guys, it's important that we have this salvation issue right, that you need to know. Everyone, look at me. You need to know that no one can lose their salvation and no one can walk away from their salvation. If there's a time where you decide, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore, you probably never were really following him in the first place. Because once you taste and experience the Lord, you want nothing else. There might be a season of wandering and struggle, but the Holy Spirit does not leave someone that he comes. He literally, think about the verse that we hear so often, where I will never leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit would have to fail God would have to give up on his child. God does not kick anyone out of heaven. When you are his son, when you are his daughter, when you truly are, then he will never disown you. There might be wandering, you might have to discipline, but there is a difference here. And I just want you guys to know that because people that you've grown up with, people in this room, as you get through high school, you're gonna see them begin to wander. As you become an adult, uh, and I can tell you this because I've experienced this. There are people, like I said, that I've grown up with that they're away from the Lord or even they become that wolf. They become uh, dangerous with false teachings that they have or whatever it might be. And so I tell you this not to become callous, but to be aware, okay? And not to let that become you, all right? Make sure you really know Jesus and it's not a game. It's not um, a task that uh, Christianity for you isn't something that you check off. You need to know him. Um, or you will wander, and you'll wander fast, and uh, Satan will get a hold on you. This is the time. You're in junior high. Uh, this is the time to make your relationship with Jesus for real, okay? Solid. Does that make sense? Okay, so you need to be aware of this. Know that people are going to leave, and that even people in our midst, that maybe once you had everything was okay, um, that they might depart from what they once believed. The second thing I want you to write down uh, is... And staying on track, we need to not compromise on Jesus. Um, not compromise on Jesus. And I'll show you what I mean by this. If you look at verse um, 21 through 25, we'll just 
um, read verse 21 real quick. He says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. He says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He has that spirit of antichrist. Verse 23, whoever denies the son does not have the father either, and he who acknowledges the father also. So when I say don't compromise on Jesus, I'm not talking about sin or things like that. I'm talking about what you believe about Jesus now. You see, John is writing to true believers, those who already know the truth about Jesus, that he was God in flesh, He is the sent savior and he's now seated at the right hand of God, that he's not less than God, he's not created by God, but that Jesus is God himself. And he he uses these two words, and I want you to write them down. The first one is deny. He's talking about those who deny Jesus as the Christ. To deny, it means to refuse or acknowledge, uh, sorry, to refuse to acknowledge or recognize. And then he also uses another word and it's acknowledge. And acknowledge means to profess publicly. And these are really the two options um, that we have. And you know the difference when someone does this to you. Maybe you have a, a friend uh, who wasn't a very good friend and, and maybe you've been around them and then some other people were around and they were embarrassed to be with you. So they, they denied that they really knew you. Maybe not even publicly, but just how they acted, that they, they were almost embarrassed to be with you. And then you have another friend who's really good to you and, and they acknowledge, they, they want to know, other people to know that they know you. They're almost like, uh, you know, they want to like flaunt you off or, or sh- show you off in the sense of like, oh yeah, I know, I know this guy, right? Um, and in a sense, that's the idea here. And there are some people though uh, that deny Jesus Christ as Lord, that he is God in flesh, they deny that, that he was actually God. They, they might say he was a good teacher. Or they might say, well, he was a really good prophet. He, he loved God. Or they might say, um, there's some people that believe he's right the, the brother of Lucifer, that he was actually an angel and uh, all kinds of wacky stuff. But guys, the reality is, is that Jesus is king, and this is something we cannot compromise on. There are only two options. There's no middle ground. The Bible says that he, uh, Jesus were to say, he who is um, not with me is against me. That this is the, the thing that you should never compromise on is, is Jesus. The fact that he is king, that he is God. It's vital that we, that we don't, that he is Lord over, over all. And the biggest point that makes us different than, uh, have you guys ever heard of the, the word cult? There's a lot of what we, what we call them cults, that they seem very similar to Christianity. There's a lot of similarities. They might use a similar Bible. They might do similar things. But when you start to take away all the similar stuff and you get down and the questions that you need to ask and need to know is, what do they think about Jesus? Do they think he's actually king? Do they think he is actually God or did he, was he just... Do they, do they think he just came in like a spirit form that people just thought they saw a human? It's important that you know because that determines everything else. And it's important that we don't compromise on that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 through 4, you can see it on the screen, says this, Paul's talking to the Corinthians and he says, but I fear... 
lest somehow as, maybe we don't have it up there, uh, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul's fear is that they would get deceived, that their minds would be corrupted by the enemy's craftiness. Guys, the enemy is crafty. Everyone will say crafty. All right, now turn to your neighbor and say, Satan's crafty. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, Satan's crafty. See, crafty, it means cunning. It means deceitful. And there is a, and what I want you to be aware of, doesn't the, to me, the gospel sounds very simple. And, it, and it's because it is. This verse describes that there is a sweet simplicity in what you and I believe. But I'm telling you that you will get people coming along and they will want to add things to Jesus. That they will want to take the gospel that you've heard your entire life that you simply confess you, you, of your sin, you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you believe in what Jesus have, has done on the cross, you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, and you begin to follow him, people will tell you it's not enough. They will begin to complicate the gospel. They will say that you have to do something or act a certain way. But what I want you to never lose is that the gospel is simple. And it is a sweet simplicity to it. And I'm so thankful that it's not too complex. I'm not the smartest of people. So if it was too complex, maybe I couldn't figure it out. But the gospel, Jesus is simple in the sense that it, it's not about doing things or being a certain way. It's simply about the heart. Are you willing to receive him? But what so many cults do, so many religions and false teachers is that they will add something to it. They will say, well, you have to give money. They will say, well, you have to do this or do that in order to be saved. You even, you have to get baptized or you have to eat certain foods or those things do not save you. And that's when you have to be aware. And this is something that you should not compromise on. If you know someone and they believe that you have to do something else to be saved, this is not something where you just say, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. No, we should never compromise on the simplicity that is in Jesus. Does that make sense? Don't compromise on Jesus. What you have heard, how simple the gospel is, don't complicate it. Don't put more things on it. And we should be Right, it goes on if you read on in these verses, uh, in verse 24 and 25, it says that we should continue on in that which we have heard from the beginning. The gospel is something that you and I should never get tired of. What I want you to be aware of, you've probably, it, raise your hand if you've grown up in this church your entire life. I'll raise my hand. Okay, raise your hand if you've gone to church most of your life. Okay, most of you. There might be some. Um, and for whatever reason, you're here, and that's awesome, and maybe your parents got saved later in life, whatever it might be. But most of you have heard the gospel and about Jesus so much that it's become routine, right? It becomes, if someone gets up, and, and adults do this too, is that if someone gets up to share the gospel, it's like, oh man, here he goes with the Jesus thing again. 
Right? Or here he goes, yeah, I know the gospel. You just admit, yeah, confess, repent, okay, receive Jesus, Lord. And it be, because we hear it so often, it can become meaningless. But we should be very cautious and aware when the gospel becomes like that. That's when we need to check our own hearts and make sure that we're right with the Lord because the gospel should be something that we remind ourselves on a daily basis. I'd encourage you, get in the habit of preaching the gospel to yourself. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you go throughout your day, you think about what Jesus did because it is the basis for which everything else in your life comes, comes out of. And it should be, shouldn't be something that becomes, oh, that's, that's so basic. Now, we shouldn't stay at that. We should continue to grow in the Lord, but the gospel should be sweet. We should be excited when someone is preaching it. We should be excited when someone is sharing it. It shouldn't become routine. If it is, it's because our hearts are, are dry and we need God to fill us afresh. And we need to abide in him. And we should be meditating on the, his promises and the the things that we have in him, the simple truths of the gospel that we've heard uh, so many times. Okay, does that make sense? So number one, um, what was number one? Oh yeah, know that people, right, are going to leave. It's the reality. Don't, don't let that trip you up. Just don't be the person that does it. Uh, number two, um, don't compromise on Jesus, the simplicity of the gospel. And number three uh, is, is something else I want to point out to you, is that to stay on track, we need to be aware of the anointing that we have in Jesus. We need to be aware of the anointing. And we'll find this in verse 20, 26, and 27. If you notice, if you followed along during the time that we first read in verse 20, uh, it attaches itself really to verse 26 and 27. So I'm going to read verse 20, and then I'll jump down to verse 26 and 27, okay? It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Then verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true. See, John kind of summarizes the point that he's trying to make there in verse 26. He says, remember, I'm writing to you about how to stay on track and not be deceived, not be the person who follows a false teacher, who follows false teaching. And twice he mentions the word anointing. Everyone say anointing. Now say, I'm anointed. Guys, if you are a believer, the Bible describes that you have a certain anointing on your life. And you're like, anointing? You've said it so many times, it's lost its meaning. Okay, anointing is something that we find in the Old Testament. And it's whenever they would pour oil on someone. Maybe you, you remember when King David was anointed by Samuel uh, to become king. Now, Saul was still king at that time. It took a handful of years for him to actually take it on. But that Samuel comes to him, and it says that he anoints him to be king. It means that when he pours oil on him, on his head. And you're like, okay, so we, have, we all have oil on our heads? No, something different. It's a spiritual anointing. And this anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. That when we become a believer, that we have this anointing come upon us. 
It's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of something supernatural that is taking place. And if you are aware of the anointing and you're abiding in him, there's going to be something that takes place. That because of this anointing, that you're going to have a greater knowledge of things. That because of this anointing, you're going to have a greater understanding of things. That God has specifically given you as a believer something that an unbeliever does not have, and it is the Holy Spirit. And I tell you that the Holy Spirit isn't just in your life to hang around, but he is there to speak to you, to guide you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Now he who is a... St- who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us with sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That the Holy Spirit in us is the anointing that we have from God. The thing more than anything else that is going to keep you on track with Jesus is if you are aware of the Holy Spirit is if you walk in the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. The Bible uses these different terms to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to live in His presence. You see, by this anointing, you and I are able to have an understanding of God's Word and also a discernment. That meaning that when other people come up to us and maybe they share something with us, maybe it's someone in this room, maybe it's someone at school, maybe it's someone, a relative, and they're sharing with you something about the Bible, something about God. And what the Holy Spirit's job is to do in us, one of the many jobs, he is to guide us, he is to lead us. And so one of the amazing things that he will do is he'll warn you that you'll get this overwhelming sense when speaking to someone of this nature, and you'll say, it'll just be almost like, uh, have you guys ever seen uh, Family Feud? You know when like that, that X comes on, it's like, Eeh. the Holy Spirit will do that in our life where it'll just be like, don't listen to this person. And it will be warn you. John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18, the Bible says here, uh, and I will pray the Father, And he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of truth, meaning that one of the things that he's going to do in our life is he's going to help us understand what's true and what's not. He's going to help you have a supernatural understanding of even when people come and talk to you, if you are aware of him and you're abiding in Jesus, meaning you're just, you're living life, not just for you, but that you wake up in the morning and you say, good morning, Lord, and you begin that relationship with him, that when you do that and you are invested in him, God's going to show up and he's going to guide you. John 14, later in the chapter, verse 25 and 26 says this, these things I have spoken to you while, bring, while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you. The, thing, the reason that I don't have to worry about you guys, of course, I pray for you, and I'm going to continue to do that. But if you're a believer... I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one guiding you. 
He's going to be the, that's why I don't, you know, as your, as your pastor, I don't have to walk around with you at school and make sure like, okay, does this person, okay, okay, no, we're good. No, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And he's pretty good at what he does, but sometimes we're pretty bad at listening. But he is speaking to us. Um, there's another verse that talks about how he, that he guides us and he speaks to us. And, and it's awesome. And it seems that these teachers, and most often, and especially the ones that John are talking to, that they claim to have a superior knowledge. And so John's trying to reassure them and say, no, what you have from God is enough. And, um, and God's going to enable you to be able to have, to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 10 and 14 says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That for the, the person apart from God's Spirit, uh, they're not going to know which way is up or down or sideways. But you and I, because we have the Holy Spirit, he's going to guide us. If we're listening to him and we're aware of his presence, uh, he speaks. I want to tell you a story um, that uh, there's, there's a guy named Warren Wearsby. I've talked to you about him before. Uh, he's, a, he's an old-time pastor that, that um, he's recently died, actually. But he tells the story of a, um, a missionary. You guys know what a missionary is? Right? Someone who, um, whether it's in another country or even here, they commit their life to sharing the gospel Right, and sometimes they're supported by the church, but uh, this is his goal. So uh, he was a missionary to Native Americans, okay, and so he would minister to them, share with them the gospel, and uh, he had this new convert that was with him, someone that just he was Native American, grew up that, but he now just started to believe in Jesus. And uh, this missionary guy and his Native American friend, they were walking down the streets of L.A., and as they were walking down the street. Um, there was someone who uh, was, had a Bible in hand, and he was teaching. Now, the missionary guy, because he's been around Jesus for a while and around the Bible, he could tell right away that this person that was teaching uh, wasn't teaching the, excuse me, the Bible accurately, that it was some kind of cult. It was some kind of um, religion that uh, had the Bible appear to be Christians, but there were a lot of things that were off. And so uh, but the, the new convert guy, he just was excited. Someone's teaching the Bible. Let's go listen. And so uh, he goes up and listens. And the missionary guy's real nervous, right? And real worried. Oh, man, like he's, he's brand new. Like he's going to get confused. Um, and, and so he's praying for him. And then they listen to the guy and then they walk away and they go on their way to lunch or whatever they were doing. And so the missionary asks this new convert, he says, oh man, like, uh, what'd, you, uh, what'd you think of the preacher? Like, what'd you think of the teaching? He's like, he's like, you know, it was the strangest thing. He says, right when we got up there, and then as he was speaking, I just had this sense that God was t just telling me, liar, liar, liar. And the whole time, that, that was just on his mind. Guys, and the Holy Spirit is good to do that. But are we aware of him? The Holy Spirit wants to give us discernment on, on, on you know, whether the Bible that we're hearing or someone telling us or all kinds of things. It's just whether or not we're listening or not. And so we need to be aware that, that we have this anointing from God. We have the Holy Spirit in our life. And then as we close um, the results, we, he kind of ends this section 
uh, with, with verse 28 and 29. He says this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And I want you to think about Jesus coming back and right, what we refer to as the rapture. And there's going to be three kind of categories of people. Okay? Some people, when Jesus comes back, they're going to be afraid. They're going to be afraid because they didn't know him. And they're going to realize um, what has happened. Other people, they'll be ashamed. And these are going to be Christians. They're going to be ashamed because they, they did know him, but they didn't live accordingly. But then others will have confidence because they do know him. And the idea of confidence is this boldness. And he kind of ends with this idea is that we are to abide in Jesus. It means to remain, to stay in him. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And the question that I want to end on today is, do you just visit with Jesus? Meaning on Sundays, do you just come and you say hi to Jesus? You know, he, you welcome him in, but he's like more of a guest in your life. And then you go through your week and, you know, you forget all about him. Or has he come to live with you? Is Jesus a guest in your heart or has he made his home? Because if he is just a guest, it means that he leaves, which means you are prone to all kinds of things to come into your life and derail you. But if Jesus is in your home of your heart, and he's in your life, it means he'll never leave. And there's not room for anything else in there. And so today I just want to ask you the question of when Jesus comes back, will you have to be ashamed over the life that you're, you've been living? Or will you have this confidence? Will you have this boldness, this almost excitement that, that he's here, that he's received you? Um, there's going to be lots of people who come in and out of our lives and people that, that don't know the Bible, people that do know the Bible but are teaching it wrong, all kinds of things. But we got to do life with Jesus or we'll get off track, all right? Father, we come before you and we thank you for this time in your word. Um, Lord, we pray that, that as we go throughout this week that, that you really wouldn't be a guest in our life but that you would that you would have a permanent room, a permanent place, Lord, that you wouldn't just have a room, you'd have every room. And uh, Lord, as we just go and live and, and live for you, Lord, would you help us to have that discernment, have that knowledge that you would truly guide us into all truth, that you would speak to us about, um, Lord, people that we know, people that we hear, maybe even on the radio or videos that we watch, Lord, things that could get us off track, off of your word. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to not compromise on Jesus ever. That we want to overcomplicate the gospel, that there would be a sweet simplicity to it. And Lord, that we would not be part of that statistic that when, when people graduate from high school and they go to college, that they walk away from the Lord. Lord, it shows that they were never really with you. Lord, I just pray for the students in here that they would, they would make that decision for you, that they would choose you, not just because it's religion, not just because it's what they should do, but because they want to follow you. And so, Lord, do a work now in our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You guys can stand and uh, we'll close in a song of worship. And then um, if you need prayer, we're, we're here for you guys, okay? So guys, when we stand up for worship, it's not a time to talk. And service is not over yet. So let's, let's end on a good note and let's end worshiping Jesus.